Good morning and welcome to our June 7th service. Please join us as we worship the Lord together. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Psalms 104, verses 24 to 35. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will praise God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. God, you are the great creator, provider, and giver of life. We come to you with praise, and yet we know that the same mouths that praise you sometimes speak words that bring pain to others. 
We come into your presence to worship, and yet we know that oftentimes we worship ourselves or others above you. We come to you aware that we don't deserve your forgiveness, and yet we know that your gift of grace is available to us. Thank you for the love you lavishly bestow on all of us. We praise your name. Amen.
Second Corinthians 13, verses 11 to 13. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age.
Let's bow now in a word of prayer. Our God, as we think about where it was that we were a year ago, we are filled with many different feelings. Either this Sunday or the next one would be normally when we have our Sunday school picnic. And so to still be kept from one another, it's hard. But now as things are finally looking as if the time when we can gather again is near on the horizon, Lord, we pray that your wisdom will be with us as we sort the many different things that will go into that out. We look forward to seeing one another so much, but at the same time, we want to do it right. We want to do it in a way that is safe, in a way that we can keep doing as well. We know that you are a God that knows all things. And so we pray that you will help us figure these things out at this time. Just as we pray this for all the other churches that we know as well. But God, our feelings as we look into the world these days are also mixed and jumbled for other reasons. Lord, we look to the south now. We look to our friends and our family as they are going through this turbulent time in the wake of what has happened with George Floyd and his tragic murder. Our God, we pray that you will be with America now. We pray that you will be wisdom for both the protesters and also the government bodies that are going to be where things need to be sorted out. Lord, we know that you are there. And we look forward so much to seeing you at work over the time that comes. Lord, we pray particularly for the governing bodies of the U.S. at this time. They have been put into an impossibly difficult position. First dealing with the fallout of everything that happened with COVID and now immediately into this. But this is something that they need to get right. So God, we pray that you will be with them every step of the way. We pray that you will be wisdom as the decisions are made. We pray, God, we pray that we will not have to see this kind of thing ever again. And now, Lord, we want to come back to our community. We want to come back to McGregor. Lord, we continue to pray with the area camps as they ramp up. Now that they have to meet only as day camps, Lord, we pray that that will still be a very successful time building your kingdom, of spreading who it is that you are to a new generation and then getting them plugged in to become new disciples of yours as well in your church. Lord, we value our camps so much And now as they put out the new details of what it is that is to come, Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that we can see you in this as clear as day. Lord, we pray always for the success of our local camps, both Circle Square and also Valley View. So many lives, not only in our own congregation, but all around us have been changed by both of them. And God, We thank you for them and look forward to seeing what it is that you will do with them over the time to come. And God, finally, we also want to pray for our graduates. That time when they walk, it's coming so very soon. And when they started off their time in school all those years ago, uh, never for a moment did they think that this would be how this day would play out. 
But at the same time, it is still so wonderful to see you at work that this can even happen. God, we pray for each and every one of them. We pray that they each know just how proud we are. We pray that they each know just how excited we are for them and how we are alongside them every step of this way into the future and what it holds as well. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for what it is that we know you will do. And we look forward to seeing it come to pass. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's passage that was read earlier is one that is important in the life of Christians. And it's a passage that is particularly important in the life of evangelicals. It's called the Great Commission. It's the final passage in the book of Matthew. And it's what the entire book has been working up to in a way. It's the final command that Jesus gives to his followers before he ascends into heaven. And that command is this. To go out and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching those new believers to obey all the things Jesus taught us in his ministry. Now, there are a lot of things that are going on in this command. And as I figure you likely have picked up on by the fact that it is a single teaching that has one of the largest traditions of Christianity active today formed around it, there's a lot that you can take from it. For example, that baptism and conversion are essentially linked hand in hand. Often in our churches these days, we separate those two events, sometimes by years. The implications of this are also important as well, that all the followers uh, reached will be taught the same thing and then initiated in the same way. That's important as it implies that baked into Christianity is the idea that you need to be in it together with other people. Inherent to Christianity is the community that we call the church. But of all the things that are interesting in this passage, there is one in particular that I want to pick up on today because it is one that I think many branches of us evangelical Christians have often, for lack of a better way of putting it, understood wrongly. And what that thing is, is in the very first line, Go out and make disciples of all the nations. Again, I repeat this, disciples. Now, evangelicalism is a big movement with many different branches in many different denominations. There are Baptist evangelicals and there are Mennonite evangelicals, as I hope we all know given the name of our church. But would it surprise you to know that there are also Lutheran evangelicals and Reformed evangelicals and Pentecostal evangelicals and Anglican evangelicals as well? This may seem a bit weird to some of us because over time that word evangelical has come to mean a rather particular picture, especially if you are someone outside the faith community looking in. An evangelical in our minds has popularly come to be someone who is all in for big and flashy church and outreach. An evangelical is someone who is all for missions that bring in those souls. And more prominently lately, an evangelical is someone who is very pro-life and is very politically involved. 
That is what evangelicalism has for millions of people come to be. A definition that looks at a picture of what is done by many that claim that title. If you are an evangelical, it means to many that you are a person who does these things. But what if I told you that isn't what an evangelical is at all? After all, how could it be if all of these other denominations, some of which seem to be night and day to what they claim to be the truth in a great many of ways, and they all claim to be evangelicals too. And yet it is the case for all these denominations, and many of them act and believe in ways that are completely foreign to the description of evangelicals I gave before. Because what an evangelical is, simply put, is not a description of what it is that they do. But instead, what an evangelical is, is simply this. An evangelical is someone who believes a very important part of being a Christian is emphasizing this passage that the book of Matthew builds toward, of emphasizing the Great Commission, of going out and making new disciples, and strive to do exactly that we evangelicals truly have. In the 20th century, in lockstep with the dramatic rise of evangelicalism, world mission organizations grew dramatically in scope. Billions of people reached worldwide, billions of dollars flowing through these organizations yearly, and all for the sake of spreading the gospel, of making disciples of all nations. And while all this work and the speed at which it rose up has been impressive to say the least, as well as for the most part I truly believe done with the noblest of intentions, it is nevertheless in this, for lack of a better way of putting it, evangelical industrial complex that I fear a mindset has taken root that we really need to keep an eye on because if it remains left unchecked, it can really become problematic. And what this problematic mindset is, again, has to do with how we have come to understand what the word that Jesus uses in today's passage, disciple, means. Because if evangelicalism as a movement has a single great sin that we as Christians must be held accountable for, and here I suppose that many of you listening are probably snickering to yourselves as truly there have been quite a number of sins uh, associated with our movement, but stay with me because I do think that there is one particular problem that is the root of almost all of the others. The base sin would be in confusing two terms that sound really similar, but really aren't. The first term being disciple, as Jesus says here, meaning someone who lives and breathes their faith, someone who seeks to learn more of Jesus Christ's teachings and who in turn acts that faith out in the rest of the world. Disciple being the first term, and then the other term being believer. Because evangelicalism at this point, if it is good at anything, it has been spectacularly great at making believers. People who, if you ask them, do you believe in Christ, they would say yes, but who may not know anything more about the faith than that. Countless missions and church ministries across the world seem to be aimed at doing just this and only this. Making new believers, getting these conversion numbers in, and then moving on in order to keep that number constantly growing. And while approaching evangelization like this can make sense if it is done together with the larger church, 
Person A can be the evangelist, and then the new convert can get plugged into a church community and grow from there. Some Bible camps work this way, for an example, and do a spectacular job of it. While this can be done well if the evangelist and the church where the new convert will be in order to grow in their faith work together as two parts of the same whole, unfortunately what also happens is all too often the larger church is left out of the equation. The place where the discipleship happens is forgotten, to which things start to break down fast. Because if these two groups don't work together, or for a different scenario, if a church ever chooses to be so focused on getting new people in the door that it puts no effort whatsoever into discipling its members, then the focus kind of goes haywire, doesn't it? Because if the focus becomes purely on making new believers and not actually caring for what happens to those people after that, if the focus becomes purely on getting conversion numbers up and never caring whether those people go deeper into their faith or not, that causes a major problem. And that problem is is that it kind of incentivizes us to never really care deeply about the people we are trying to reach out to. It kind of incentivizes us to place our priority simply on doing whatever is the most marketable, whatever is the most transferable, and whatever is most likely to drive new converts. It, It creates a picture of our faith that is both inaccurate and is also all things to all people but is never really an inch deep at any point. Perhaps most problematic is that it creates a faith where we don't care for the well-being of fellow human beings apart from whether or not it will convince them to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And that, that is a sentiment that flies in the face of what Jesus in the Bible teaches us about the value of all human life. In other words, by focusing just on getting those numbers up, we come to a faith where in order to convince more people to become Christian, we find ourselves acting in a way that is completely against everything Christ taught us about how we should think of other human beings in the first place. Because as Christians, we should care about the well-being of others, regardless of whether they ever convert or not. We are commanded to feed the hungry and help the poor and comfort the mourning in the Sermon on the Mount, are we not? These people don't stop being hungry, poor, and in need of comfort just because they convert, and Jesus doesn't really give us a time frame to move on to more fertile ground. We are called by Christ again and again to stand for these people until their needs are addressed. But if you only care about them so that they convert, that doesn't really encourage you to fight for lasting change, does it? After all, almost always there is a far cheaper mean that will serve just fine in the short term, even though it never really addresses what the problems are. If we think of other people as simply souls in need of saving just to get that tally up, what we do is in turn make these people into nothing more than numbers. You strip their humanity away and all that makes them people that Christ loves go into the aether. Keep it this long enough and in time, people will get wise to you as well. Seeing you and by extension all Christians as people who will say whatever it takes to get them to accept the Lord, but will then turn around and essentially ignore them the moment uh, that happens. 
That is not the mindset of what we are called to be as Christians. That's the mindset of a serial philanderer. So is it any surprise that in areas where these kinds of outreach are used exclusively and overwhelmingly, there is typically a marked increase of hostility toward the church? No. Go out and make disciples of every nation is what Christ calls us to in the Great Commission. Disciples. He calls us to this because for every problem I have just outlined, this way of evangelization that Christ teaches us addresses these issues and yet goes further still. Because to make a disciple, that takes time. That takes effort. Possibly most important, that takes a lot of personal investment, mentoring, and caring. That takes building the kind of relationship with the person that you reach out to that they know in you is someone who will go to bat for them, is someone who cares for them and who will stand with them when times are tough, who will not just say empty words, but will be their ally against all the forces of evil that are trying to keep them down. To make a disciple takes working to show that person that you are reaching out to, that you are someone seeking earnestly to live out God's love, caring, and compassion in your life. In short, to make a disciple takes relationship that persists. This is what the Great Commission calls us to do. Not simply make believers and leave it at that, but to make disciples. People who in time, with the investment of other disciples, will go on to make disciples of their own. Disciples who will in time go on to be that love of Christ to yet more people, and then in turn even more, until there isn't a corner of the earth where injustice and darkness can hide, because there stands a disciple of the living God to oppose it in his name. And on this front, this idea of what evangelicalism is supposed to be, I really have to give it up to two people that many of us know well. Travis and Rosie. They go above and beyond, not just to seed the gospel and leave, but to stay in the field and water and tend until new communities of faith that will develop and mentor the next generation of disciples grow up around them. The work that Travis and Rosie have been doing in their church in Paraguay, building relationships with other people and becoming a part of their life, it is exactly what the Great Commission calls us to. I also need to again give a shout out to the area of Bible camps on that front. The nature of camp ministry is that if it's handled poorly, it can fall into exactly the trap that I just explained. But the amount of time and effort and follow-up and work to plug the kids in with different disciples to walk with them that these camps do is astounding. Same goes with our local YFC, which I see daily given that one of my neighbors works for them. But just because we don't work in local or overseas missions doesn't mean that we can't learn from this distinction either. We all have neighbors around us who need people to invest time into them because they don't have that anywhere else. I call on you now. Be the person who will do that for them. Be their friends. 
not just so that you can win their soul and move on, but instead because it is through these lasting relationships where followers of God will stand up with other people that the kingdom of God can be most readily seen being built. It is in lasting relationships, free of strings, where new disciples of every nation will be made.
And for our benediction, we come to the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go now and serve our God.